0: Welcome to Cultpix Radio, WCPX sixty-six point six on your pod dial, with your host Django Nudo
1: and the Smut Peddler.
0: Together, we, we are, are Cultpix. Cult <laughs> Welcome very much to our first pod on behalf of Cultpix and. This is a brave experiment, but it's also going to be a origin story about how CultPix came to be and the company that gave birth to it, which is Club Super 8. So I'm going to be talking to the founder of Club Super 8, and we're going to be exploring and finding out what kind of films, what it's all about, and what the vision is in terms of CultPix not just being a streaming platform for classical genre Films and television, but also community for people who love films that are cult, exploitation, call it what you want. So, first of all, um, smart peddler, tell me how this all began and what exactly is Club Super Eight?
1: Well, we started well, well back in the day, back in nineteen ninety-seven. We started out as uh, first as a party crew who visited places with our super 8 projectors and showed digest uh, versions of horror movies uh, but later on we actually became a regular film club and started doing screenings i think it was like every two weeks or something like that and doing big party nights so we we screened a 35 millimeter film we uh we had DJs afterwards. We had a bar. We had live bands. So it was quite, uh, quite, a, quite a thing.
0: And this was all in happening in in Stockholm and Sweden. And just to reveal a bit of background about yourself, you you worked in cinema at the time at the prestigious Swedish Film Institute. That
1: is correct. So I started out way way back at the film archive at the Film Institute, and then I was a uh, A curator at the Cinematheque so I was uh, planning a lot of film series and uh, thus I knew everything that was in the film archive that was never screened by the Cinematheque so we brought out those obscure numbers and screened them for our fans.
0: So you dusted off all the old prints that were not considered good enough that were not Bergman enough to be shown at the Cinematheque and took them to parties?
1: Yeah, you could say that, but the parties were actually in the film house, so we used both the bar they had and the the, ah. the cinema they had there.
0: And so who who was coming to these parties and what was the kind of response that you were getting when you were showing these films which presumably hadn't been shown on television and most people were probably not familiar with.
1: Yeah, the, the I mean in Sweden there was a lot of censorship before, so a lot of these films had never been screened. But we had a, a we can call them a, a crowd, crowd d- dressed in black. Basically, um, a lot of people think they were only only nerdy guys, but we had a, actually had a lot of nerdy girls as well, and they were all super enthusiastic. And we always did some competitions before the screening, so you could win like old posters and stuff like that. So it was really a community thing already from the word go
0: nerdy guys we love, nerdy girls even more so, and anybody in between. Now we're about to come to our first clip because there was one film in particular that stood out and that also became a bit of a kind of a, I don't want to call it the mascot, but it became like a calling card film for everything that Club Super 8 has done and that CultPix is doing now. So do you want to tell us a little bit about *Rum Dimbashun i Lapland?
1: Sure thing. *Rum Invasion i Lapland is also known as Terror in the Midnight Sun or the very, very odd American version, Invasion of the Animal People. But uh, we can call it Terror in the Midnight Sun for now. And it's actually Sweden's only seriously-meant science fiction movie. And it was made back in 1959. And it was directed by Virgil V. Bogle, who also made a lot of cool genre films like The Mole People. And uh, obviously it's played out up in Lapland in the north of Sweden where a UFO is landing. And after that, it's really hard to explain the story because it both contains a huge, <laughs> hairy beast looking like Chewbacca, but many, many years before Star Wars. But it also seems to be controlled by these uh, bald, uh, pale guys in white anoraks. Uh, really hard to follow and it was partially um financed by the by the tourist board in lapland actually so there's a lot of skiing going on all the time in the film
0: and skating from the female knee lead you you left out the most important bit that uh, like all good club super eight films it also has nudity so you got hairy space alien monsters and you know battle scenes and everything and it's got you know not gratuitous because it was 1959 but it does have glimpses of nudity as well for sure now we're not going to talk too much about it because the film is so good really it deserves its own podcast episode so i think we're going to save it for future but but right now we're going to play you a little little clip a little taster from the film so here is Rim invasion laplan aka terror in the midnight sun
2: Doctor, that thing must have come from the crater. The plane. We got to get it off.
0: That was a clip from Terror in the Midnight Sun, also known as Rimni Mashun ala Plant, also known as Invasion of the Animal People, from Club Super Eight. Now, um smart peddler, you talked about how you began as screening and viewing parties in Stockholm and at the Cinematech, but pretty soon Club Super 8 went international and you started touring the world together with your films to a number of countries. So tell us a little bit about how that began.
1: Yeah, actually, everything came together. When we we started collecting films ourselves, Uh, somehow we we went to um, these sort of... I would say, call them gray area collector's conventions where people were swapping film uh, prints with each other. And we, we soon had a, a bunch of them. And um, that, that came in handy because we, we wanted to start you know traveling with the films. And, and also since we had the, the DVD label, which of course started out with VHS from in, the, in the beginning, uh, we had rights for films so we could travel with them and screen them.
0: So it wasn't just a question of you having access to prints, it was, as we'll get into more when we talk about the, the VHS and DVD and, and Blu-ray uh, publication, but you also started going about uh, getting the rights. But before we get into that, I mean, it, in a way, it, it all kind of kicked off in 1998, the following year, when Stockholm became the cultural capital of Europe. So tell us a little bit about the kind of things that you got up to then.
1: That's correct. We we I don't know really how we managed to do it, but I think we had a friend inside the organization of the Culture Capital. And so we we had, I think we had six nights at a huge downtown venue called Scandia in Stockholm, where we did themes, thematic screenings. So we did, uh, for instance, one night of, of 3D, where we had uh, Andy Warhol's Dracula. We had uh, the Swedish... Sweden's only 3D movie, Champagne Galop, which also has some other titles like What the but- Butler Saw and uh, The Groove Room. And also actually the only short porn film in 3D in Sweden called Dream Sex in 3D, which is actually available on CultPix. If you have your red-green glasses somewhere hidden in your shelf, you can bring them out and have a, have a look at it. And we also did, as being the organizer, you can can organize things the way you want them. As I played in a band, we started composing music for a film by Todd Browning called The Unholy Three. So we performed that music live to the silent film also during these uh, thematic nights.
0: And pretty soon you started making friends with other people. Um, like-minded people from around the world um, who were involved in collecting, uh, preserving, archiving, and distributing those kind of films. So one of the first ones was uh, Mike Renee and Lisa Petrucci from Something Weird Video in Seattle. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what happened there and especially about the Something Weird Film Festival?
1: Yeah, that was that was like uh, a stroke of luck for us. A friend of ours uh, had been in touch with something weird video in Seattle, and they, they were really interested in coming to Europe. They had only traveled actually once to Mexico to meet uh, Coffin Joe down there to release his movies, but this was their first international trip ever, and they really didn't believe that we would pay for their airline tickets and, and get them hotel rooms, but we did. And that became a f- friendship for life because we were really the same same spirits, and and Mike and Lisa are truly the mentors of Club Super 8's uh, uh, DVD branch. You could say that.
0: And they've they've published a lot of the Club Super Eight titles in. Uh, North America. And I should say that um, Something Weird are also one of our partners for Pix and several of their uh, great films are now available to the members of Cultpix for watching.
1: That's correct. And actually, there were two festivals. So they came back the, the year after and we did an even bigger and more elaborate festival uh, where we also got involved a, a theater group who were playing one night they were playing cannibals and and uh, uh, priests, and one night they were playing uh, vampires, and one night they were playing Mexican wrestlers. So the audience were really in for a treat, and Mike and Lisa brought their own film prints. They brought tons of posters, so we decorated the the lobby of the of the cinema. It was completely sold out. You 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 must realize this was the time before the internet, so nothing of this was available back then none of these films could be seen anywhere
0: and also you couldn't promote it on facebook you couldn't put it up on social media it was word of mouth it was put in yeah on dead trees printed and exactly. so on so happy old days but also i think what's nice about it touches them on the fact that one of the guiding philosophies of, of club super eight has also been as far as i know um and as far as i've been involved which is that look it's not we're not here to make money um, but as long as we're not losing money and as long as we're having fun, then we keep doing it. And that's, that's pretty much been it, wouldn't you say? Yeah,
1: that's for sure. And what happened during that festival was that uh, Mike Rainey really wanted to release Terror in the Midnight Sun. And we got in touch with the producer. So he came down to the movie theater. And that's when the, the magic happened that we made our first deal. And that led on to us releasing a lot of movies on VHS uh, during the the upcoming years after the the last uh, Something Weird festival.
0: And for those of you not old enough to remember VHS, those were things where you had to rewind and and forward the film and stick them in a big box in a square format. So, ask your grandfather about it. Now... um, Club Super 8 wasn't without its controversies, even at some of these events. I mean, they're all very fun, but I don't know how much you want to get into what went on at Arvika Rock Festival and also at the Umeå Film Festival.
1: I will, and I won't. <laughs> because uh, the funny thing is that most of the films we are screening are old. I mean, they're vintage. They're at least 50 or 60 years old, yeah. but they still seem to to make people really upset. And I would say... These controversies happened back in the early two thousands, and now things are even worse in terms of what people are upset about. But at the uh, rock festival, we had we had our own we actually had our own tent with a with a touring thirty five millimeter equipment, which was pretty awesome. And that was the only place that was really warm in the festival because it was get chilly at night in Sweden. So we had a tons mm. of people coming in. But someone saw in the in the catalogue that there was, you know, something that probably wasn't politically correct or too violent or too nude or something like that. So they actually reported us to the police. And Wait, that ended police? up with the fe- not I, yeah, yes, I didn't know. I'm not making
0: police. up this. But seriously, reporting you to the police, yeah. not the festival organizers? Yeah. For what?
1: No. I don't know. But so obviously the, the organizers got very nervous. And they they didn't want to stop us from you know doing our thing, but they had some <laughs> interns with black marker pens erase out all the all the boobies in the bro in their uh, festival catalog.
0: I hope you kept I hope you kept you know a few of those catalogs because those are historic <laughs> I have great one somewhere. Yeah. Of, of, you know censorship even in a liberal country like Sweden.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and at the uh, Umeå Film Festival, which ob- obviously to to some people who remember the uh, the years, it you know two thousand to two thousand and five, you had the uh, the vegan punk movement uh, very much alive in in uh, Umeå, with a with a lot of, of people who are were vegan well, very political. So there was some um, some ruckus about. Uh, the, there was a series of films um, called Camera Obscura, and they they wanted us to, to curate that series. So we gave them lots of options for films we had. And then I wrote the, the liner notes, and I sent it to them. And it was especially, I think, Ilsa, harem keeper of the oil sheiks, that got them upset <laughs> because the copy text read uh, a great mix of topless and ultraviolence mm. and that yeah. didn't go down so well that... so so yeah so it ended up with a couple of people actually resigning from working for the film festival and also the festival management wanted us to have a debate with people who were against our types of films and uh, we said, you know, we don't have anything to defend because this is horrible. These are horrible, horrible films, and we cannot defend them. Mm. It's a dirty job, but someone has to do it. Yep.
0: Well, like it or not, they're part of cinema history. So I, yep. I just love the fact that old films can still people get people that upset, you know, because it shows you that, you know, they're obviously doing something for people. If, if they just didn't care, I think that would be worse.
1: Yeah, and obviously... Bottom line is always, they never even saw the films. They are upset before even watching them. So there Uh, you go.
0: There you go. Um, But, you know, we're not just going to dwell on on the kind of the negative because there's a lot of fun stuff that has come along with all this traveling. And before we get to Christina, you know, we should touch upon the fact that, you know, things like the the, the Hong Kong trade office. So what was that all about? Because that one, that was before my time.
1: Yeah, that, that one really sticks out in terms of what, we, what we've been doing over the years. Uh, we were contacted by the Hong Kong Trade Office who wanted to do a um, contemporary um, film festival with, well, with new, new Hong Kong films. But uh, the Cinematech of the Film Institute had declined and also the major what? independent cinema chain, Focus uh, Bio, in Stockholm had declined. They didn't want to work with this. And as we love Hong Kong cinema and we could immediately uh, identify a number of, of really cool, violent yes. thrillers, uh, John we said, Wu, you know,
0: Bruce Lee. Yeah. Run Ron, yeah. Ron show.
1: Exactly. Shaw so we said, we're going to do it. And, uh, and, and we didn't realize how, how big that was. I mean, we rented a screen. We, we arranged a cocktail party and then, uh, mr chang came who was number two in hong kong you know yeah big 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 honcho number two in hong kong oh, really? and when he arrived in his limo and all of the staff <laughs> basically fell to the ground worshiping yeah. the ground he walked on we kind of realized this was a big deal that we had been suddenly become involved in so that was cool of But it, it was it was a success it, it, it was yeah. it was really fun
0: I remember we were arranging screenings at my University Film Society. Nothing pulled in people like when we did Hard Boiled with John Woo. You know, yeah, Hong, yeah. Hong, Kong, Hong Kong films are just cool, so shame on Absolutely. anybody who doesn't want to have a festival with them. But yeah. um, Before we go to our next clip, quickly, we have to name drop a little bit because we've known each other for a long time, but the first time I think we professionally really worked together on this was at the ICA in London, the Institute of Contemporary Art, which is a real kind of stamp of approval Um, in terms of recognition of old Swedish films and and smut and so on. So hats off to them for wanting to do that. But of course, just as we were about to do that, we had a major sponsor, which was a sex shop or adult toy shop in the Trocadero who pulled out at the very last minute. And that seems to be a bit of a running theme with the kind of events we've arranged. But what are your memories of the ICA?
1: Yeah, but I remember. Yeah, wasn't it like the Museum of Erotica or something like that? Yeah, or, it was or, more
0: than just a, a porn yeah, shop because yeah. those were up in Soho. This was slightly more sophisticated. Maybe it was like female centric or something. I can't remember. But yeah, they were. But
1: the the but the Institute of Contemporary Artists. I mean, it's it's an amazing cultural hub with with both a art gallery and cinemas and and uh, things going on. And so yeah. it's. It's really and and really really in central London. It's it's, it's a really cool place. Yep. It's on Mall,
0: on the road that leads up to Buckingham Palace, so you yep. couldn't ask for a more prestigious location.
1: True that. Uh the thing I actually remember most is that we had a uh, we had a we have a bunch of short films made by a guy called Eugen Verman who, oh, who yeah. ran who ran a, a, a grindhouse theater in in uh, in Stockholm. Was
0: his birthday yesterday
1: was his birthday yesterday for sure um and all of his shorts are very very i would say kind of lame when you watch them now it's just nude women maybe taking a bath or eating a banana or something like that Mm -hmm. so we thought in the restaurant while while we were like having an unofficial dinner yeah we we projected the whole shorts (laughs) program which is like three hours long on the wall about this and 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 they had one of their major financiers or sponsors there, and we had forgotten about that. This guy actually made a hardcore porn film in, in oh. among those films. Okay. So suddenly, suddenly there were organs in motions on the all over the wall. Yeah. And the and the staff came running and you know shut it off, shut it off.
0: Maybe not the thing you want to see with your dinner, but you know I think <laughs> you know a for effort and, and creativity. Yeah. So I think yeah. The film's like, this should not be just confined to, to VHS and to the big screen, but bring it out into the open. Um, sure. Last but not least, we have to mention, and again, major name dropping, uh the screening that took place at the Egyptian Theatre in Los Angeles. And again, who stepped in to rescue the event when, yeah. again, funding fell short for, I can't remember what reason, but...
1: Oh, I can, <clears throat> but it was it, it's it's re- it's really that that screening was really a milestone. I I had met with with uh, with the American Cinema who resides at the at the Egyptian Theater in in Hollywood uh, the year before. This was back in two thousand and six, um, and we decided we we're going we were going to do a, a theme weekend on the subject of Swedish sin. So both doing the sex ed films and also doing some of the films with christina lindberg who's like the icon of swedish uh sexploitation cinema and, we'll and we'll be talking uh,
0: about in a minute
1: yeah and um, there was a person who started contacting the swedish film institute and the swedish institute saying stuff about us and they they got cold feet and pulled out so by just by a fluke i had I was in touch with the personal assistant of Quentin Tarantino, and uh, so I sent her an email. Stupid, stupid me! And I said, <laughs> "Hey, we're we're going to LA, but we don't have the money. Nope. Uh, we know that Quentin likes Christina. Uh, could you know? Could he sponsor us?" And like pff, ten minutes later, we got an email saying that you know Quentin is so excited. Where do you want us to send the check?
0: Yep. And he did, and he would have come to the screening, but I think he was shooting, I can't remember which film it was at the time. Yeah, but he
1: was busy elsewhere, so we we actually sent on the prints to him. And I think he was in Austin at the time, so he watched them there.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it's pretty impressive when you have Quentin Tarantino step in to rescue your film festival, a special film screening. Now, we're going to get on to talk a little bit about um, the VHS DVD Blu-ray and some, but before we do that, we've got another cool clip. This one is from Blondes in Bondage. Was it called in Sweden? Blondie yeah, Blondes in, Blonde
1: in Bondage. Yeah,
0: Blondes in Bondage. Or, Promises a lot.
1: Or yeah, it also had the alternative title Nothing but Blondes. Mm. And it was a uh, Swedish-American co-production. Whereas actually, thanks to the, the the rumor about Sweden's loose women. Um, A lot of American companies came to Sweden in the late 50s, early 60s, and started making films here. Here's a clip.
2: I think you two gentlemen have met before. Yes, I'm sorry to say we have. Mr. Brown, you know too much for comfort. You give me no choice. Perhaps you have already talked to the police, but that is not important. Dead witnesses don't talk, and Mona, we don't worry about. We can handle her. Don't be stupid, Kruger. Peddling dope is one thing and murder is another. I wasn't afraid to let you come here. And I have means to get you out.
0: That was a clip of Blondini Fora, in Bondage. And now we're going to be talking about... um, dvds VHSs, all of these films obviously started at midnight screenings parties film festivals and went on tour but they've had the longest life on as we call it packaged home media otherwise known as vhs and dvd so again what was the first film that you put out on any of these
1: I believe that the first film was actually The Language of Love, Kärlek and Språk, which was a huge international success back in 1969. And the reason we got that contract is kind of interesting. Going back to the, the screenings I told you about with um, at, the, at the Culture Capital of Europe screenings, um, the short film Dream Sex in 3D was produced by a guy called Inge Ivarsson. And he called me up and said, you know, what the fuck? I have the rights for this film, and you're, you're screening it illegally. What, what the fuck are you up to? Oh, Never a good start. No, but my immediate reaction, which was kind of silly, was like, oh, it's you. Are you still alive? <laughs> <laughs> because he was really a legend already back then, and I think he was yeah. in his 80s. Uh, and he was very much alive, I would say, but he had changed his, his career. So that he was now selling property in Spain for mm. Swedes wanting to retire in the sun. Um, so we, we came up to his office and, and he was actually quite friendly. And we said, you know, we, we have this idea of releasing old Swedish cult movies on, on, on video. What do you say you want to sign a contract? And he said, you're nuts. No one wants to watch these movies anymore. We made them for theatrical, and then we threw them away, basically. We, don't, yep. we didn't see any value in them mm. after that first life. So we actually signed for 25 titles with him. Wow. And, and he, he lived not to regret it, I would say, because it, it gave him a silver lining on his pension in his old age because he, he actually got some royalties from us
0: but not to take anything from your business acumen but you definitely lucked into a good deal then with 25 titles just like that yeah. and there are some excellent ones i mean apart from the language of love and the many sequels we should say of course like any success yeah. you know, there are some great great films in there
1: yeah i mean he he made all the kinds of films that we really love ourselves so and and obviously all of them are are available on on cult picks but i mean for one um, Fear Has a Thousand Eyes, which was uh, launched as a sex and voodoo horror film. I mean, how can Always you miss out on sex that? Sex
0: and voodoo, yeah. Mm.
1: And, of course, Anita, which is a wonderful film where Stellan Skarsgård, our big Hollywood star these days.
0: A big export.
1: Yeah, he he did some of his early, early crawling before walking steps there.
0: Yeah. And before he spawned a Hollywood legacy or Hollywood dynasty of, of actors as well. so but we have his shameful early films and they can be watched in their uncensored full glorious nudity on cult picks obviously as well as on DVD, never forget, still worth collecting, yep. still worth buying obviously. and and like I said, you know they gave a second uh, career boost to some of the stars, but also like I said, it's a, a well-deserved small pension pot too. Yeah. The people who had been involved in creatively and putting them together and written them off after they'd been released theatrically. For sure. Now, these were films, all of them, which despite being major international successes, they, they were overlooked by the critics or hated by the critics. And it's not like they were getting much love from the Swedish Film Institute and the establishment, as it is called.
1: Yeah, we we found out, we started reading up on on Swedish film history and we realized that there was something missing. So it was a bit like, you know, Molotov being written out of Soviet history. (laughs) (laughs) The things that are not, you know, people are not feeling comfortable with, just take them out. Uh, But but these films were actually the ones that people were watching, especially internationally. So uh, I would say that Sweden's rumor was not coming from Bergman's uh, anxiety in the bourgeoisie, but uh, from nude nude people in the archipelago. Yep.
0: And one of those films, which was actually a co-production, a British, Dutch and Swedish one, we're going to have a clip from next, which is Champagne Roses Dead, but I don't know if we'll include it, but it was a film that we recently... Um, managed to get uh, finally a really good copy from, from the British Film Institute, and it's this version that we're able to present in glorious high definition on Cult Pics. Uh, do you want to tell us your favorite quote from that film?
1: Yeah, I well, first of all, I want to tell you that it's it was it was directed by a Swedish American director called Calvin Floyd, Calvin and Floyd. He, he was yeah. like the only one who ever tried to make serious horror movies in Sweden. So. This one is a kind of a Bond spoof from 1970, but he also made a, a, a documentary called In Search of Dracula, where he actually got Christopher Lee Christopher as the narrator himself. Yeah. Yeah. Also playing both Dracula and Vlad Tepes.
0: Which is probably the only time he's done that on camera. Yeah.
1: And also, he, uh, he made a film called Victor Frankenstein which is actually being restored by the Swedish Film Institute right now.
0: Yeah, we should pay tribute to Swedish Film Institute. they yeah. 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 do do good as well. I know we're being mean to them, but yeah, we do love them and they have done a lot of great work and Absolutely. with us in restoring some of these films. So thank you, Swedish Film Institute, if you're listening to this. Uh,
1: but Champagne Rose is Dead uh, is about this secret agent guy who really doesn't know which side he's on, who are the bad guys, who are the good guys. And he also tapes himself, you know, like a diary. And my favorite quote is when he's, well, it's sort of at the end of the film. I'm not going to spoil anything. He, he, uh, he sits down, he looks up, he tapes his own voice and says, All revolutions are compromised. Money can only buy
0: perfumed vomit. <laughs> it's a great Love quote. that one. Here's a clip from Champagne Rose.
2: Second question. What do you believe in?
0: myself only myself
2: oh too bad you should have believed in my charity take the last run
0: uh, please jason
2: i'll use my influence to have you pardoned. you won't be shot i promise and i promise not to shoot you if you let go of the ladder you don't believe in anything not even in yourself
0: all right i believe in nothing but at least there's something
2: then why live happy landings
0: now, we've talked about almost half an hour, and with the clips, that's even longer before we got to the star, the marquee name of Club Super 8, Cult Picks, and of the films that um, we've talked about before. None other than the one and only and amazing Christina Lindbergh. How do you begin to introduce a legend like Christina?
1: Well... She was the biggest centerfold in Sweden from 1969 to 1974, something like that. Mm-hmm. And thanks to that career, she was discovered as, as they are or they were uh, and also cast in movies. So during the brief time of five years, she starred or participated in 25 feature films. In Sweden, Germany, and Japan, which is quite a feat in itself. Uh, she was huge back then. Um, all the guys who were making their having their military service, all of them had a, like a centerfold of her glued to their, you know, to, next to their oh, bed, yeah. oh, to yeah. their bunk bed. Um, but we had the rights for a couple of her films, like Anita, like uh, Exposed, uh, Wide Open, couple of others. Uh, so I think the first one we released on DVD was Anita. And we wanted to, uh, you know, do an interview with Christina. So we, we went to her place and she didn't know anything about us. And she told us a little bit about her career. And soon afterwards, we had the chance to go to L.A. And Quentin Tarantino had just been quoted as saying that Thriller, A Cruel Picture, a Swedish, very violent film, was his inspiration for Yeah was his inspiration for his Kill Bill films. Uh, So he really raised Christina to the skies, and she became an international phenomenon again many, many years after her film or centerfold career, because she is now an established uh, journalist and ran her own aviation magazine for many years, was the the editor-in-chief of of Flygrevin, Flight Review.
0: That's right. So she was a centerfold, and she did many, many films, both in Sweden and internationally, in a very short time period. And then she stepped away from it all. I mean, she, she literally did a, a great agarbo, or whatever you want to call it. Mm. And I think the only film that she released in over 30 years was a documentary about mushroom picking.
1: Yeah, that's right. She's also a mushroom picking expert and also a champion for the wildlife in Sweden, especially the, the lynx and the wolf.
0: And she is super lovely. I've, I've met her. And the funny thing about her, I mean, for people who haven't heard of her, shame on you, but is that for somebody who became like the number one Swedish centerfold and export, if we can call her that in terms of a movie star, um, she is not your who you would typically associate with as a Swedish female. You know, no. she is not blonde, tall. I don't think she's blue eyed even. No. Uh,
1: dark short brown eyes <laughs>
0: petite you know yeah. gorgeous lovely with warm smile but yeah but she does have something in her that really you know speaks to the camera and i think we're not going to dwell too much on her because she deserves her own pod episode if if mm. not several so hopefully we can sure. persuade her to come on and talk to us as well i but think
1: she will be our guest for sure absolutely
0: defen- great um, but yeah, and, and what was amazing is after you interviewed her and she got this big shout out from Quentin Tarantino is that she had a, a kind of a, a second, a revival, international revival, where you effectively traveled around the world with her um, to film festivals and conventions and meetings. And the response was just phenomenal.
1: Yeah, it's, it's been a, a quite a, a ride. We, we've been traveling together now for, is it like 15 years? Yeah. Uh, and going to the US, Canada, South America, all over Europe, even to Japan. And uh, everywhere she's greeted by fans who love her. And she has this expression about people who want to take a photograph with her and stand next to her. She comes up to me afterwards and says, oh, that was a shaker. And I'm like, what? A shaker? Yeah, a shaker. They they are shaking because they are so excited and nervous that they are shaking. Right,
0: over. right. Not a handshaker. <laughs> they were they were literally no. shaking. So, yeah. but um.
1: And so I've seen her sign names of people in both Slovenia and Japan and and Brazil, which is quite extraordinary.
0: Yeah, it's it's. Four, four continents or more that yeah. you... Where would yeah. you say that the biggest kind of response or audience was That in all the places that you've gone to?
1: I think Japan was the Japan. craziest part because yeah. there was a line outside the movie theater going a couple of blocks. Uh, and I have never seen anything like it. And the, and the cinema was underground, so it was like in the same level as the, as the tube. And they were just... All these corridors were like just masses of people. And, of course, not, not you know, not fighting or anything, very polite, standing still, but lots of them. So yeah. that was cool.
0: Yeah, I've, I wasn't there, unfortunately. I wish I had been, but i have seen the photos, and it was amazing to see the people line up around the block um, yeah. to get to meet their idol, who they'd been watching on screen for, you know, decades. And then finally, there she is. Yeah, And just amazing in person all these decades later.
1: Yeah, and also this sort of leads me into thinking about, you know, dwelling more on on, on cult pics is that we met people at 20 different conventions all over the world uh, during the time span of about 15 years and they all are the same in every country you come to it's the same kind of persons they're punks they're goth they could be you know like older guys who remember the films and you have like your teenagers who are really excited and 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 inquisitive of the films they don't know them but all of these people are super friendly they are always very kind especially to christina you could imagine at least that there would be some sleazeballs coming up to her or douchebags but everyone's just been so great with her so the fandom is out there for sure
0: It is a family. And that's what we want to talk about next in terms of cult picks. Um, But before we do that, you promised to bring me a a clip of Christina. And it's a bit of a mystery. I I wasn't sure we talked about, are you going to bring her famous song? or something from one of the movies so no I think we could um, well let's let's hear what it is that you brought with what you put to play so here is the one and only Christina Lindbergh there comes a time
2: in every girl's life when she knows she's not a little girl anymore Inga at 16 at her coming of age learns everything there is to know about love I like to be alone like you to do just what I want you and you smile, and you feel you this new dress is really something. I wonder what mother would say if she saw you like this. She probably wouldn't like it. There comes a time when she has new interests, a new awareness in her mind. She has so much to give. You have a great thing going, playing naive and innocent, but really you're a little slut. That's not true. Excuse me, what do you call it? There comes a time in every girl's life when waiting and wanting aren't enough. Christina Lindbergh, The Girl With Them. You've seen her in Playboy, you've seen her in Penthouse. Now starring in Made in Sweden. In an unforgettable weekend in Stockholm, you'll see all of her. There comes a time in Inga's life when she becomes a woman. Maybe.
0: Well, thank you, Christina. So, we're now fast-forwarding to 2020. So, Club Super 8 has been going for, for almost 20 years at this point, And, you know, it started out as a bunch of, you know, dedicated, happy amateurs. And then about 10 years ago, um, it, became, it, started, it became a business, really. It had a slight management change and um, took a new direction and a more deeper focus. So, fast-forward to 2020, COVID pandemic. But it wasn't just COVID that got us thinking, really, about moving into the streaming platform. I mean, other things had been going on before that, really, that pushed it to it. And, and we been we talked about some of it. It's the fact mm-hmm. that, you know, there is this fandom out there, a global fandom, um, that is pretty much same as whether it's in Stockholm or, or Santiago or Tokyo or Toronto, and the secondly is the fact that we keep putting up films, but, you know, even though we love our collectors and they're still out there buying DVDs, there's fewer and fewer of, of those kind of, you know, transactions happening these days on, on DVD. Isn't that true?
1: Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we've we seen, you know, we've seen the, the DVD sales spiraling down over the years and, and uh, yeah. we, 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 you know, we got to survive and... We have actually reached out, for instance, to Netflix and others and, and, you know, asked, why don't you have a section on, you know, yeah. vintage films? But there's no interest whatsoever on, on yeah. their part. And one of the major uh, streaming platforms in Sweden, they had our movies, uh, but they, then they suddenly grew a, a consciousness after five huh. years. Also, they uh, removed all the films where you could actually see some female nipples, which we all mm. know is the most dangerous thing in the world
0: terrible yeah, very dangerous horrible. yeah yeah we're not going to mention any names who they are but no, yeah no because they still have some of our other films and yep. we're very happy with that but yeah and you're right and and we have been selling a few films i know i mean we've sold some clips to hbo our dear friends at mubi have shown mm. two of our films and we love them dearly for you know having the vision to share those kind of films as well but you're right the truth is that there was a huge void if we can say that, in the kind of streaming media landscape, between the kind of high-end um, mainstream Netflixes and Amazons, and on the other hand, you had the more arthouse niche operations like Criterion and Mubi and so on. But there really wasn't anything in between for the likes of, of our films, was there?
1: No, this is true. But on the other hand, not, not everything we do is commercial. So no. it also came out, came out of the personal interest from both you and me that the output from the major platforms is really boring if you're not into new tentpole yeah. uh, Hollywood blockbusters yeah. or enormously elongated TV series going on yeah. and on and on and on. Yeah. So I was like, I want to see something. I I want to I you know I want to see something that I like and then we should probably create our own world.
0: Yeah. you anyway, damn it! I don't want to go onto the biggest piracy platform in the world to watch my films and those other films, which is YouTube. YouTube. I'm sorry to say that, but yeah, YouTube yeah. is the biggest host of pirated content, and they don't seem to make it very easy to remove the content that we own the rights to. I mean, I'm not going to go into a rant here, but mm. only because I had to send five takedown notices for Terror in the Midnight Sun and three takedown notices for Anita only this yeah. week. But yeah, it shouldn't be like that.
1: No, we want, we want to we want to create a legit platform where we have contracts with the producers or the rights holders. And obviously over the years we have became, become good friends with, for instance, Something Weird Video, but also our, our dear friends at, at Synapse Films and Impulse Pictures, who also licensed some of our Swedish films to the North American market before.
0: Yeah, So, and we're super thrilled to be working with them and with others to make some of their greatest films available to a global audience, as well as other global companies in Finland, in Japan, in Italy. Hello, Penny. Um, France, Germany, you know, we're really looking everywhere for like-minded companies and people and I know the greatest holdup for us isn't really finding great films it's really just the biggest stumbling block you know we found in the last year is the fact that we are a global service you can watch us in theory anywhere in the world maybe not North Korea um but we are truly global so to secure global rights isn't always the easiest because they've sold off exclusive rights for one territory and we don't want to carve out that territory and say nope sorry geo-blocking. you can't watch this in you know united kingdom because the rights have already been sold
1: yeah no we we want to be a truly global platform and we also want to be a truly global community for for all the the, the geeks and freaks out yeah. there who love these movies
0: yeah exactly and we get into that and that it's really that community thing that's driven to us and again you know we're i don't think we're going to get rich on this platform but you know as long as we're not losing money and we can keep going and keep adding great films, I'll be happy because I have to say, I know we've only just announced and we've kind of launched, except we're having problems with Stripe to get our payment platform sorted. Boo, hiss. But the response has been overwhelming. I mean, yeah. I'm floored with the kind of, you know, letter emails been getting, the kind of offers of help, you know, the kind of companies becoming coming to us saying, hey, are you interested in this catalog? it's i mean i'm i'm yeah i'm i'm overwhelmed
1: yeah and and i think thanks to 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 the interest we're seeing now is that we will have some big big surprises for the audience in terms of content i think people oh, yeah. will be you know blown away by by some of the films and some of the catalogs that we are adding over time here
0: yeah and it's it's really I mean it's films, it's television shows, it's old Super 8 loops, it's documentaries, instruction films, shockumentaries, Mondo, spaghetti westerns, horror, Japanese Kaju films, thrillers, more horror, nudity, more nudity, yet more nudity as well.
1: Yeah. And but, if you and if you ask us what you know, how do we decide on the films or who decides on the films yeah, who decides and you can see cult? that you can see that in the faq that it's <laughs> it's the two of us who decide what's coming up on cult pics
0: that's right this isn't democracy this is a cult yeah. but having said that of course we do listen to and we constantly get suggestions we've had some amazing ideas uh, for, for films that we should have to go out hunting for to see if we can secure the rights to, uh, like uh, Le Grand Bouffe. I don't know what the title is in in uh, English, but, yeah, this French film, which I saw as a teenager, deeply disturbing, Three Men Eating Themselves mm. to Death. Great mm. film. I'd love to have yeah. on cult pics, but, yeah, we will listen to our members, and, yeah, you know, we'll try to put together, keep putting together new films, and um, it's not just going to be films. I mean, we've got other... Shall we talk a little bit about the kind of other things we have planned for this, you know, community other than I, just the streaming platform?
1: I think we can reveal some of our plans. Yes.
0: Yes. Let's go ahead.
1: Uh, yeah, because the the thing with a community and, and this is actually in opposition to the traditional streaming platforms where you basically pay up and shut up. We want a dialogue. We want people to participate. We want to have, uh, you know, quizzes. We want to have competitions. Uh, We are definitely going to do live Q&As with actors and directors and experts on cult cinema, both Swedish and international ones. And uh, we want to have this, uh, you know, make this a, a party place to come to. And we are also adding new content every week.
0: So, in a way, it's kind of almost a full circle um, in terms of the origins of cult picks having been born out of Club Super 8 and Club Super 8 having begun as this kind of uh, screening parties and, and super loops on the wall in the background and uh, bringing together like-minded people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's true.
0: Well, this is going to be exciting and the podcast is very much part of it. So, uh, any final words before we wrap up for this time, peddler?
1: Uh, I just want everyone out there to uh, stay stay insane to stay sane, I would say.
0: <laughs> Definitely, yeah. We'll be doing our best to try to make that possible. So, And above all, goddammit, we have to sort out the issue with Stripe. People are yeah. dying to get in and watch films. They want to give us you know, their money. They're banging on the proverbial gate with their credit card in their hand, and we can't let them in because Stripe is giving us grief. So... Let's wrap up the podcast and get back to hassling Stripe to sort that out. So, for now, it's thank you very much from myself, Django Nudo,
1: and from me, the Smart Peddler.
0: And you've been listening to, to WCPX Cult Picks Radio, sixty-six point six, on your podcast dial. Until next time, stay safe, men safe